This talk is offered by Ordinary Minds Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Andrew is an Australian Dharma heir of Barry Majid and is dedicated to extending Barry's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. I'll just start the talk with um, reading out a story that many of you have heard before. It's um, case 19 from the Gateless Barrier. And the title of the case is uh, Nan Chuan. Ordinary mind is the Tao, or ordinary mind is the way. This is the, uh, the story or the, the koan, the case, uh, from which the, the name of the uh, ordinary mind Zen school originates. So I thought it was an appropriate uh, topic uh, to talk about today. Like many Zen stories, it involves a dialogue and uh, then there's a comment by the person who collected the koans and uh, as in uh, the tradition there's a, he also does a verse as well. So, <clears throat> the case. This is when uh, uh, a teacher called Cho Cho was still a, 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 a monk. And uh, in the history of Zen, uh, Cho Cho is a great, you know, great Zen master. Um, and uh, he's talking to his teacher called Nan Chuan. So Cho Cho asks Nan Chuan, what is the Tao? What is the way? The kind of question we ask ourselves um, when we the kind of question that is basically saying, what is practice? Uh, what, is, what is the Buddha? What, what's this all about? And Nantuan says, ordinary mind is the way. Ordinary mind is the Tao. Um, by ordinary mind, um, doesn't quite mean the ordinary mind of... Um, you know, lost in our thoughts and busy and stressed and all that kind of thing. But it's important to try and find out what he means by ordinary mind. Chocho asked, uh, "Should I try to direct myself towards it? You know, how do I, how do I, how do I get to this ordinary mind? How do I?" And Nanchuan says, "If you try to direct yourself, you betray your own practice. In other words, it's not something that you can actually." Um, and direct yourself towards. It's not a goal, it's not something that can be achieved sometime in the future. Um, and Chao Chao asked, well, how can I know the way, how can I know the Tao if I don't direct myself? And Nan Chuan said, the Tao, the way, is not subject, not subject to knowing or not knowing. Um, Knowing is delusion, not knowing is blankness. If you truly reach the genuine way, you will find it as vast and boundless as outer space. 
How can this be discussed at the level of affirmation and negation? How can this be discussed at the level of knowing, yes, affirmation and negation, minus and plus? Um, in other words, we're all um, a part of this seamless whole and we can never kind of, we can't stand back and, and have a knowledge or know the whole universe. It's impossible. It's always going to be much vaster than just this little human form here. Um, and so, with these words, Chao Cho had a sudden realization. And uh, the comment is that um, although Chao Cho had a realization, he could confirm it only after 30 years of practice. The, in, our, in our personal lives and in Zen practice, there's always this kind of contradiction or dialectic between uh, suddenness and, and gradualness. And we'll talk a bit more about that. And, uh, and, and the verse, that, that the, the capping verse for the story is quite beautiful. It, um, Spring comes with flowers, autumn with the moon, summer with breeze, winter with snow. When idle, con when idle concerns don't hang in your mind, that is your best season. Um, so, um, in that verse, it's, it's giving us a little bit of a, a clue, I guess. Um, these lovely uh, descriptions of spring comes with flowers, autumn with the moon, summer with breeze, winter with snow. Um, that sense of immediacy, of uh, justice. Um, um, that, I guess that's getting, getting close to what they mean by, what means by ordinary mind in a way. But when he says, when idle concerns don't hang in your mind, idle concerns we could translate as the kind of way we get lost in our self-centered preoccupations. And, uh, and uh, how when that happens, that's when the separation or the gap opens up and we, we identify with that sense of narrowness rather than the vastness uh, of justice. And uh, when idle concerns don't hang in your mind, that is your best season. So again, this is kind of, there are seasons which come and go, and there is also always just this moment. Um, so this, this, we're always in this kind of relationship between this, this sense of, it can only always be now. This, 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 the future can only be now, the past can only be now. Even the now can't be now, really. It's this, this sense in which we're always here and now. And, uh, but then there's a kind of sense in which we lay foundations. And there's a sediment, there's, there's, a, there's a gradualness in the practice as well, which we can't ignore. And um, it's a bit like our lives. Um, you know, uh, we could be in a relationship for 20 years and then something happens in the moment and where's all that 20 years gone? Um, someone's upset or 
heartbroken and the relationship ends and where did that 20 years go? Um, it, you know, the, the sense in which there's the uh, it's all a bit like a dream in a way the past and the future and uh, the only place we can wake up is here and now and one of the reasons why I like the metaphor of falling in love with life is that um, falling in love has a kind of sense of a suddenness and a gradualness as well. It's a sense of, I think we can uh, relate to falling in love. Um, so it's kind of like um, there's a suddenness about it, but then uh, if that comes together in the form of being companions on the way, then that love deepens over time. And uh, we have this sense of the seasons of love as well, and uh, the sense of a maturation of love. Uh, and, uh, you know, the sense in which um, some. Uh, um, what is what Bob Hawke's wife, what was her name? Uh, no, no, his first wife, his second wife. What was his second wife? Blanche. Blanche, yeah. Now how she was talking about the love of caring for him as he was dying, as opposed to the sense of um, the passionate love and the, the erotic love and the years, first years together. Um, the, the sense in which um, falling in love, in a sense, is a metaphor for waking up, so, uh, or a, like waking up is a sudden thing, it has to be now, but how does that then develop and mature over time as well? How does our awakening mature? Um, and um, um, one can have the most beautiful uh, aha peak experiences, but like if, if that doesn't really <coughs> make much difference to how we live our life on a day-to-day -day basis in our relationships. Uh, uh, it's not much use. I think, I, I was trying to think about, well, I, I started practicing Zen when I was about, um, uh, just before my, my son was born, and he's 30, so, and, um, We all come to Zen, or we all come to some form of searching at some point in our lives. And uh, at that point in time, the, my first marriage was not going well, and I thought maybe uh, through the practice of Zen it might help things. And initially, the birth of my son did. I mean, it was, a, I guess, a little bit of a, a, a reprieve from the, the difficulties of the relationship because the focus was on the baby, and we were able to come around in that way. But, um, as he, as he grew older, uh, the, uh, the difficulties, the cracks in the relationship grew bigger again and eventually we separated. Um, and so, and you know, it's not, I don't think Zen practices, you know, you meet 
Zen teachers or Zen people. It's not about being a saint or anything like that, neither. But um, what difference does this practice make to our lives? It, it, it really it uh, always amazes me to, like, all of you here, like, some of you I've known for a few years now, some of you I've only known for a few months, and, um, you know, the, the sense in which we come together like this and we sit in meditation and we discuss texts and um, I do believe there's something really beautiful about it. I mean, there is a sense in which we're all wanting to be better people, be good people. We're all wanting to be more compassionate and... Uh, and um, there's something that's very, I think, very profound about being companions on the journey together in the form of a Sangha, how we can support each other in that way. And I guess we're still very much in the, this, this Sangha is about four years old. And I know that there are other Sanghas here that some of you belong to, the, the Poly Sangha members. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and um, but I, I just wanted to acknowledge every every person here today um, for the commitment and um, passion and uh, you you brought here over the past four years and uh, what we are creating. Uh, so we we're not only creating. We're not only creating our own life, and when our own life is our practice, but when we come together like this, um, we're creating a culture as well. <coughs> and remember in the old days when Zen was first starting, uh, it was a monastic practice. And, um, you know, one of the famous Zen teachers from the 13th century, medieval Japan, Dogen, was like, he, he, he saw everything uh, as being sacred, everything became everything in the Zen. In every every part of the day was a ritualized thing, and in the monastery, everything from doing the gardening to cooking to weeding to sitting zazen, giving talks, um, a fairly regimented lifestyle, not an easy lifestyle. Um, apparently, sometimes the monks got to go wandering at times to different monasteries, yeah. but like. It's really hard to do this practice in, in, in a lay context. Um, and so in a way, we have to, we have to make sacred and ritualize and, uh, our everyday life, our ordinary lives. Because you know, when Zen talks about ordinary mind, and this, this, this treasure which is so close and so subtle that we miss it all the time, what Zen's talking about is just appreciating this ordinary life that we have. Our ordinary mind is this ordinary life that each one of us is leading. And uh, what we miss in the, in the busyness and in the self-centered preoccupations that we all get caught up into at times is it, just simply the, um, the wonder of this ordinary life that we're all living. And uh, um, so, you know, everything that is in a lay practice um, I, I'm, I'm just trying to think of how we can uh, relate to practice as being all about our lives. Um, not just about when we come, it's beautiful to come together like this and sit formally 
light candles, read sutras. But when we get home and when we go to work, um, the, 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 really the importance of that being just as important as being here. And, and the only way I can uh, best express that is that sense of falling in love with life, deepening. And I'm not going to say, it's not like you're going to be, but like every, every moment in the day, there's going to be some opportunity where you can uh, fall in love with life. Um, but that we can ask ourselves the question, though, well, what are the barriers to that? I mean, what gets in the way of us falling in love with life, and what helps us to fall in love with life? So, um, you know, um, what, 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 do, what do you think, uh, what would you describe as some of the hindrance, hindrances we, that you experience, uh, or some of the barriers you experience to, to falling in love with life? Yeah, feel free to just to sh- just to brainstorm, share something. Uh, what what is it that gets in the way, you know, of us experiencing? That? Judging. So yeah, so so judging is a big one, and you you even see it in the in the in the very ancient sutras when they talk about you know liking and disliking as a disease of the mind. So the sense in which we get caught in all these evaluations all the time takes us away from that immediacy of ordinary everyday life and the judgments um, um, often are, they're either about ourselves or others and it could be about you know this is the, the judgments about um, this is really bad and horrible what I'm going through right now and um, and yeah in, in some ways we need to be compassionate to ourselves and, 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 and empathic towards ourselves and there's no contradiction between Zen and psychotherapy, as you know, but there's a bit of a distinction between them. And um, 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 Barry, my teacher, who's a psychoanalyst, uh, likes to joke a fair bit, and uh, he said once to me, oh, the other day actually, whereas, you know, you're, you're, say in psychotherapy, your client comes in and, and they're going through a really hard time, and as a therapist, you know, you. You want to empathise. You go, really? It's really, you know? And he says, whereas the Zen, the Zen teacher might say, so what? <laughs> so, um, it's a sense in which, how do we get the balance between those two? Um, see, life, you know, this whole cycle of samsara, life itself, in a, in a sense, is, is beyond all, all, all our evaluation, all of our judgments, all of our human all this relative world that we live in. Of, uh, and it's, it's important, we, we have to pay attention to that. You know, we can't not have a self, we can't not have an identity. And sometimes we, it's okay to make preferences, it's okay to like a red car more than a yellow car. But the, 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 the wisdom that comes from seeing the, the so what side of things is how it helps us to cut through, to not to actually sort of like penetrating into the, well, let's not, the actual wonder of this moment as well. Like we lose sight of that when we get caught up in wanting a yellow car rather than a red car. Um, and, uh, and we lose our balance, we lose our perspective when we 
get caught up in these, those really kind of evaluative preoccupations. The same as how we get caught up in evaluations or comparisons about how we're doing on the social status, hierarchy, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, one aspect of Zen is about cutting through all of that, direct equality of everything, you know, um, uh, the nakedness of everyone, the, the, the sameness of everyone. And it's also at the same time, we can also celebrate our uniqueness and our difference because we're all going to be experiencing it in, a, in our unique way. So, yeah, so judgment, evaluation is one of the things that prevents us from falling in love with life. What else um, gets in the way? Sometimes the expectation of, of how, we things, how we think things should be. Yeah, so that's another biggie that Joe Kobeck used to talk about a lot. Um, so, um, usually behind every upset there's some kind of expectation or requirement about ourselves or others. And just to just encourage you to to examine this in your everyday life, that when you get upset about something, what's the expectation or the requirement that hasn't been met? I'm not saying that it's... And again, we, we don't have to make an evaluation of that. It's not that it's bad to have expectations or requirements because we're just building another evaluation. It's just more about seeing it. It's just seeing how the upset happens. And, and if, if you do see the, how the attachment to the requirement or the expectation is either you know, generating or continuing the upset, you know, the, 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 direct, the direct seeing of that can really help to just cut through it and, and help it to just uh, dissipate quickly. Um, I mean, one of the advantages I think we have in our, in our, in our everyday lives, as opposed to being in a monastery, is that uh, uh, we have a lot of, um, uh, we, we have, in our, in our rela intimate relationships, in our family relationships, in our work relationships, we've got so many opportunities to, to see the different ways in which we might get upset about something. What? I think for me, when I shrink myself down to the eye, I then fall into opinion and I lose sense of I am part of. That's what it feels like for me. So it really feels as though I can shrink myself down to be lesser. Um, and when I take time to sit, simply be. I'm less I and I'm, uh, I'm less opinion, I think. Mm. Yeah, and I think that, Jonathan, you're, you're pointing <coughs> to how when we get caught in that kind of um, evaluative thinking of any kind that's measuring and stuff, that Whenever we identify with this sense of the separate self, we are reducing ourselves to a part, and we do lose the seamless whole. Mm. And um, this, that's almost never part of this, of this, of our being human. Uh, but um, what we're hoping that this practice does is is to loosen that up, so that we. Um, more in touch with the, with the vastness of, of life in our everyday life.
Another big one is fear. Um, so much of our self-centered preoccupation and our, uh, our getting caught up in, in, in obscuring or forgetting the wonder of life and falling in love with life is, is fear. And then there are so many different forms that fear takes and uh, um, Would anyone like to share some ways in which uh, <coughs> fear is a barrier to falling in love with life in your own experience? Well, it can prevent you from going to certain places or prevent you from yeah. doing certain things or taking the opportunity yeah. to keep yourself in that sort of sort of dreamless. Yeah. Just as we talk about. So, yeah, so. Um, which we need to embrace fear as part of life. Um, Seeing correctly, it's a doorway to love, it's, it's a denial of love. You can't feel love. self centered on fear. It's seen correctly, using the tools. I think we all would have witnessed about in ourselves and how fear of being hurt and getting in the way of um, falling in love. Um, our fear is often that sense of hiding away or contracting. Um, I find difficult with the word falling. I, I think it, I, I prefer the word embracing. You very well, so, I, I'm just saying, life it is as is the only teacher. Mm. Um, that's what really is to use that against fear mm. to say mm. we must. Yeah, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity, mm. and it's time to accept that fear is mm. it is what it is, basically. But yeah. if, if we move forward and, and try. Uh, and use life as, as, as a teacher. Yeah, yeah. We always know we're going to have ups and downs, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes um, Joko uses the the metaphor of falling, um, and you could literally you could use it as a metaphor of falling from a plane. Um, but it's also the sense of the letting go and the falling. Mm. And the falling can also be as a kind of metaphor for impermanence because. Everything is really uh, rising and, and, and falling so quickly. And, and um, usually the, the, the suffering that arises is our attempt to control that or to hang on to something. And really we're all falling. And, uh, and we're all know where we're going to land. Uh, but that's another question as to what death is. But like, um, the sense of falling in love is like, as we're falling, can we also love at the same time? We in love with the falling, in the same way we can literally see that when the, the you know, the metaphor of the cherry blossoms falling, and we feel that sense of, of the wonder and 
beauty of that, almost in a sense of how beauty is dependent upon that falling and the impermanence of everything. May surrendering this self-centered dream. Yeah, let, 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 letting go, you know, there's all those Zen metaphors of hanging on, like the, you know, the guy who's hanging onto the cliff and the tigers are down the mm. bottom and he get, grabs the strawberry or the, um, there's um, another metaphor of a, in the Zen story of a, someone hanging on or clinging on to a branch with their teeth or something. There's a lot of metaphors about this sort of hanging on. <gasps> and, then, and then the difference between letting go and just going, well, surrendering to it. Uh, um, we surrender to the falling in love. Uh, that doesn't mean this is being falling in love with the person. It can mean falling in love with the flower in that moment, or falling in love with the washing up, or falling in love with the dishwasher. Falling in love with the dishwasher. And uh, I remember, I remember when I first fell in love. Actually, when I was, it's a falling in love story. <laughs> I was about 17 and uh, I lost my virginity, <laughs> fell in love and uh, um, literally I, was, I just felt like I was walking on there. Yeah. Sometimes I think that like, that like it all came tumbling down, <laughs> she went back to her boyfriend. <laughs> but you know it was quite wondrous for a few days or a few weeks even. <laughs> Um, but there's a sense in which with that falling in love there was a transformation of the world as well mm. and uh, there's no, no, no drugs involved, it was just the falling in love. Who's had that experience? Mm. Um, and I think sometimes what ends up spoiling things and what ends up bringing things apart is when there is that expectation of permanence. You know, once people start thinking, oh, this is going to be this or this relationship, that sort of spoils the whole thing, that sort of holding on to the impermanence. Yeah. How many how many people have said, Oh, I'm so happy but I'm so worried because it's not gonna last. <laughs> yeah. I'm worried, I'm so happy. 